0: Hey everyone, I just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that we've launched our Patreon site and that you can now become a supporter of the show. The awards in there include artist features on our website and shout-outs on the show, as well as open invitations to join fellow patrons in our roundtable discussion episodes. So if you think you might be interested, please take a look at the link in the description or just go to patreon.com slash at percussion. So slash AT Percussion. Okay, thanks for listening. Three, two, one.
1: Hello, everyone. You are listening to episode 254 of the At Percussion podcast. My name is Xenia Komlinovich, and with me are my beautiful co-hosts, Ben Charles. Hi, Ksenia. Hey, Ben. Carly Vina. Hey, Xenia. How's it going? Hey, it's going well. Thank you, Carly. And Casey Cangelosi.
0: Last the best of all the game.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Casey, what happened in uh, music on our release date?
0: Sure, sure, sure. October 22nd is the release date. And today, the thing I picked was something we've talked about before. And that is that Paul McCartney, know if you all know but Paul McCartney is actually dead and (laughs) the person who we know of as Paul McCartney is in fact an imposter and I've uncovered some new evidence I want to share but we talked a little about um I think it was a Judas Priest lawsuit where they went to court over hidden messages in their recordings and one of the examples Ben said was that the Beatles went through this too? They didn't go through the same extensive lawsuit because there wasn't uh, any any uh, deaths associated with it the way it was in the Judas Priest case. But supposedly you play some Beatles backwards and you hear hidden messages, and Paul is dead, and there's all this hidden album uh, cues and 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 um, you know signals from the Beatles to their fans, and they were just saying that. You know, our fans couldn't possibly bear the idea that Paul is actually dead. So we're gonna have to um, have this whole big farce and an and imposter to say that he's, he's actually still alive. And some of the things that they said, Paul himself, well, the imposter himself, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated, which is a, a Mark Twain quote, actually. He says, if the conclusions you reach is that I'm dead, then you're wrong because I'm alive and living in Scotland. John Lennon said, what did we do? Stuff him and shave him? How could we do that? I don't understand what it's all about. And Ringo Starr said, if people are going to believe it, they're going to believe it. I can only say it's not true. Now, I don't know about you all, but when I read between the lines of those quotes, clearly they're covering something up.
1: <laughs> I thought you were going to end it with like, and Ringo Starr said, I like cake.
0: <laughs> I like one. cake. So if you, if you read between the lines there, I mean, especially Ringo. George,
2: George being suspiciously <laughs> quiet
0: here. <laughs> and George says nothing. Yeah, right. So, so there's all sorts of evidence, you know, on their album covers, but you know, recent recording technology has, or not recording technology, but uh, you know, digital recovery technology has shown us something new. So I'm going to, I'm going to play this uh little video for you all real quick. Okay. So here's some new evidence and you know, th- this is slowed down. This is played backwards and it's enhanced the second time through. So I'll, I'll show you where that is. Alright, clear as day. I'm gonna do it one more time for you so you can hear uh, it's, it's saying Paul is dead Okay, and now here it is with the new digital enhancement and they've also added some text to uh, Point out what's being said and if you're if you're watching on YouTube. There's there's something to look at here. It'll help out Paul is dead Paul is dead. Ben, Paul is dead.
2: Did you catch that, Ben? I think, like, I think I heard it. <laughs> uh, but I'm not sure. <laughs> not it was sure. So we heard weird. It.
3: Well, it actually sounded like they said Ben's name.
2: I, I Well, <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, like, <laughs> it's up for interpretation. I heard something about the, uh, how you play the crash symbols in the third movement of the Bar Talk.
0: Is that what it was? <laughs> hey, wait, keep keep listening because it gets a little more specific coming up. Ben, Ben, the Beatles kinda suck, Ben. They're not that good of a band, Ben. So clear as day, clear as it could ever be, and that's what happened October twenty second, Paul
2: McCartney denied that uh, you know, that he's dead. I I'm still hearing something about the Bartok, but no, I was just going to, I just wanted to, there's actually a a fun little fact about this is that uh, Paul McCartney released a a live album in 1993. And it's sort of like a cheeky reference to this, the live album's title is Paul is live.
1: Uh uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I cried through that one.
0: (laughs) Oh, good. Good. It only took me 10 minutes actually to make all that. I thought, okay, how quick can I make this?
1: And we've lost so many listeners. This was record time to lose listeners because Good. we're definitely feeding them fake news. Good. Um,
3: Carly has some real news, I think. I have a, a serious thing that happened on this day, uh, October 22nd in music history. Actually, the, the original New York Metropolitan Opera House that was on 39th and Broadway opened on October 22nd. So that's pretty cool. And i was doing a little reading about the background here before the met actually the only opera house in new york city was the academy of music and the academy of music was much smaller and it was very exclusive like it was built by the old money elite families of new york and only the most prominent and wealthy families were subscribers and th- those were the only people that could go so when they they got together and decided to build the met it was twice as big as the academy of music there were three tiers of private boxes and actually, some names that you'll recognize, um, the Morgan family, like J.P. Morgan, Roosevelt family, the Vanderbilt family, these were all families that had been excluded from the previous Academy of Music, and they were all subscribers once the Met opened in 1883. And the first show was Faust by Charles Gounod, uh, and it was a great success. And in fact, the Academy of Music's opera season was canceled three years after the Met opened, and it was never reinstated. So... Um, I'm sure it was still exclusive to an extent. You know, we talk about like the exclusivity and accessibility of classical music and opera. Um, I'm sure it was still exclusive for, for many, many years. And in a lot of ways, it still is today. But it's interesting to to note, like that's what brought opera to more, more people, more audiences in that time. So there's your serious, serious music history on this day from <laughs> October 22nd.
1: Thank you for redeeming us, Carly. I don't think you can wash away Cangelosi's sins, even with all of your beauty and brains. But we can, we'll keep trying, we'll keep trying.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ksenia, can you, Ksenia, can you introduce our guest today, who I believe is dead? <laughs>
1: She is timeless. That's that's how that works. Timeless. Um, All right. So our guest for this episode is um, calling in from France, but comes from Bulgaria. She was born into a family of musicians. Her father is a famous pedagogue and we're going to talk about this. And she has gone on to have a stellar career um, competing, performing and teaching across the world. Uh, So I'll list uh, an abbreviated um, list of achievements. Um, She's the first Bulgarian to be awarded the second prize of the 56th ARD International Music Competition in Munich and the first prize of the 5th World International Marimba Competition in Stuttgart. She has also won the Grand Prix of the 10th International Competition Music and Earth as a soloist, as well as the first prize as a member of the percussion ensemble Accent. This ensemble was founded by her parents, and we're going to talk about that too. She has won the Young Musician of the Year Award in Bulgaria in 2008, and the first prize of the music critics in the 18th International Festival of Central Europe in Slovakia. That's just prizes. Um, She has a wonderful duo with Toma Enko. Uh, Their album, Funambules, published by Deutsche Grammophon. By the way, funambules that means tightrope walkers for all y'all who come from countries like mine, and you might not recognize that word. Um, The album is a true work of art, it's gorgeous, and uh, you should check it out. She is the co-founder of the Paris Percussion Group, as well as the artistic director and co-founder of the International Marimba and Percussion Festival in Bulgaria. Mm. Wow. Wow, welcome to the show, Vasilena! I'd like to start the show um, by sort of annoying Casey. No, actually. But yes, this is a question that Casey dislikes, but it is very, very relevant right now. Uh, because I'd like to ask you to tell us about your roots in Pleven in Bulgaria. I've, uh, I've visited this place and it's like a little gem. The high school there has a wonderful faculty where your parents also teach, right? And so many fantastic percussionists have come out of there, it seems. What was it like? What was it like to have both your parents as your teachers? What was it like to start off in Bulgaria? Tell us.
4: Actually, Pleven is really a small city in Bulgaria and there is nothing to do than playing percussion. So actually it was pretty like we were practicing all the time. And um, my parents were pretty cool because they never pushed me for practicing. For I started with violin actually when I was five and I really wanted to be violinist. Uh, actually until nowadays I'm sometimes dreaming that uh, I have to perform uh, in front of full of audience whole Tchaikovsky concerto and uh, <laughs> orchestra is playing and I'm just starting to play and I just like actually I'm not playing violin I don't know what I'm doing here I don't <laughs> about this. and yeah so I started with this and they were completely okay my first concerts were with violin actually and after I had a small disappointment with my teacher um because she she get pregnant and when she came back she didn't took me again in her class so i was like okay if she's a colleague of my parents and she does not take me maybe i'm not so good so i was listening my sister playing percussion and uh, i just copied her during my father was not there uh, because i didn't want to make not good or something and finally after um, a while I asked him, can I just play something for you and you tell me if it's okay and if I can start to practice and be in your students class. And he just listened and he was like, okay, you can go. And so I started when I was seven actually percussion and after it was actually it was really cool because his class has uh, kids from six years old until 18 and at the time I were there. Uh, there was Svet that you all know, there was Georgi Varbanov, he's uh, here in uh, France also uh, and between France and Salzburg actually I don't know what he's doing but he's traveling all the time between boats. Um, There were um, uh, Orlin, uh, Nevian Lenkov, there were Ioana Varbanova, she's in Germany, there were Vladimir Petrov, he's now in Austria, and yeah it was actually full of so many talented people and we just well i don't know we we just helped uh so much uh, ourselves and we were super patient mm, papa was really like the padre <laughs> of the of the team he was like uh very yeah very patient always practicing with us being from morning until evening and yeah it was really cool actually yeah, I missed that time and I was in Pleven actually now just four days ago and there were a very good jazz festival now there and I listened to some of our students uh, and one of the students of my father now is in Munich and it was pretty cool. Actually we just keep always uh, the contact between us and yeah we try to, to meet and yeah. Mm -hmm. I I have
2: a question based on the the fact that it was like a, you know, performing arts school that you grew up in. Uh, We talked to Robert Van Sice a while back, and he talked about in the States, basically, our our music education is like high school band, and that's it. And if you major in music in college, then you take class piano, then you take music theory, you take music history. So uh, in your education, were you exposed to like music theory and oral skills from a young age? Can you tell us about that training?
4: Yeah, of course, Uh, actually, I think the music education all over the world is pretty different because for example, I'm in France and actually it's uh, also very different from Bulgaria. Here they have a lot of conservatories, but um, they're like high schools, something like high schools for music um, disciplines. And they had another school in Bulgaria, we have this Russian system that we have combined the general classes with musical classes and so almost all the time in the mornings you have your general math physics and shimmy and i don't know all the things and all afternoons are full with music theory uh, music analyze, acoustic knowledge about the instruments, your percussion instruments, your like main piano for uh, which is obliged, you're obliged to learn it, and orchestra, and chamber music, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, disciplines. And more you go in the grades, uh, less you have general uh, classes and you have more and more and more uh, music classes actually. So it's, yeah, it's really very nice because it's in the same place Now it changed actually. Since we we entered the European Union, they completely changed, and now you have less musical um, classes, and it's more equalized with other schools. But it's still kind of professionalized since the beginning. Did I answer the question? Yes. 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 Sorry sorry. for my English. I I do. (laughs) No, it's great. Yeah. It's way better than Casey's. So you will get it and go speaking English with French accent, actually. <laughs> yeah. Because I was, I was uh, studying for six months in the Juilliard and everybody was thinking I'm French, actually, but yeah, between French. <laughs> <laughs> really, Ben,
0: ben thought uh, Ksenia is from Croatia, like several times.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah. impossible, impossible to think yeah. that. <laughs> so uninformed, Ben. We've got to. I'll buy you a map for your birthday, Ben. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, Vasi tell us about how did you how you decided to go to France or to start studying abroad after being in Bulgaria.
4: Mm, actually, I knew I'm going to go abroad since I was 15, something like this. Um, at that time, actually, everybody, uh, everybody from the class of my father was moving somewhere, and we 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 were we were doing uh, master classes um, in Bulgaria, but not only we were moving in Europe and uh, meeting teachers. And after once somebody, somebody, somewhere, he's we we are always in touch and he or she are like ah it's very nice for this or for that so it depends what you want to do if you want to do orchestra solo or whatever we were thinking about where we can go and in my case I was thinking to go in Germany actually so I was learning German and I prepared myself for Peter Sadler class Uh, but I don't know why I ignore why it didn't work at all, so I was super disappointed. And at that time, we ma- we were making a tour with the um, accent, with the percussion ensemble of my parents. So we were in Austria, Germany, and France uh, for three concerts. When we were in Germany, I applied. They they didn't take me, and I was super sad because I was like, I, it was the only place I was I was trying to go because we were chatting with Peter Sadlo at that time. And yeah whatever i was really very disappointed and so i just came here and i felt so good actually coming in paris it was like a, a love from the first sight for me really i just felt so good and the person who helped us to to come here who organized the concerts, uh, her name is Chantal Stiliani. she she became somebody very important for me she's p- piano player and she was in the during the in the, perc- in the um, competition in sofia where i won the the grand prix prize and so she knew me in 2003 we came here in the summer 2003 2004 and uh, by chance her cousin was percussionist in the paris opera and she was a student from Silvio Gualda. Silvio Gualda, I think you know, know him. But at that time, I didn't know him because in Bulgaria, uh, contemporary music is uh, pretty taboo. Uh, so we never we never played Xenakis or something like this. So I just arrived she was like, hey, actually you have to go and meet Silvio. Uh, he's really great and blah, blah. I was like, okay, let's go and see. And he just listened to me and he was like, okay, if you want, you can start next week. And I was like, Okay, why not? And actually I was finishing one tour with the Bulgarian Orchestra in Japan because I tried to get some money to study abroad because uh, difference of standards of life is really killing in the beginning. So, so yeah, I, I just finished this tour and I started in February 2005 here. And after so many good things happened that, that I was like, okay, maybe this is my place actually beginning was not so beginning here was pretty difficult i was i was playing on the street to earn some money uh and to to be able to live in france but one year later it was really really cool (laughs) yeah that's
1: amazing that's amazing you're that's that's so inspiring
2: so since we've mentioned bulgaria a few times i know that one one thing i've heard of of bulgarian music but i've never actually heard it myself is that Bulgarian folk music has a lot of interesting meters, like odd meters 13, 13.8. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Could you tell us about Bulgarian folk music a little bit and if that's played into your uh, musical background at all?
4: Of course, of course. And actually I can uh, even recommend you, if you don't know the mystery of, uh, uh, how we say in English, the mystery of Bulgarian voices, it's uh, a choir Uh of uh, women, and it is so beautiful if you don't know just go and listen it's really heartbreaking i don't know if you can say this, but it's like so much energy actually bulgarian folk music is really very rich because um in this in one time you have uh at one hand you have all the irregular rhythms so actually it's dances for us so five seven nine eleven thirteen fifteen until i know i can dance until 15, after there is 17, 21, blah, 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 all of those. And uh, so you have this, um, yeah, irregular groove. And in the same time, you have all the songs and that are um, transmitted from person to person. Uh, It's all oral uh, education somehow and um, there is uh, a lot of uh, songs without measure, a little bit uh, influenced from Oriental music also. So actually it's really very rich. And in my knowledge, uh, it's one of the richest for poor music all over the world actually, because it's still alive. There is a lot of uh, music everywhere and people really try to do their best to, to keep it. Actually, um, my, when I finished my pedagogical masters here in France, I was working on transmission of folk or music in particular, Bulgarian folklore, And I was trying to find the connection and how can I use the way they transmit it in a classical conservatories. So I went there and I was up, uh, making observation in several schools. And it was very funny because they really don't have uh, notes to write it, It's they only play all the time. And it, it was so great. You go in the school and everybody's playing something somewhere, it's completely crazy. And I was just looking in the lessons and for example, the teacher is playing for example, and uh, the guys, A teacher, no. It's the guy again, it's like, it's the same, no. (laughs) Again and again and again, until they have everything, intonation, uh, ornament, the ornamentation and everything, they just want to listen and to be sure that they're going to keep exactly the same thing. And uh, actually, Bartok was one of the first person who, who went and who write down some of the music that they're playing there. And uh, it's one of the first uh, testimonials, I don't know, first uh, traces of uh, our folklore.
2: It's it's so interesting. You, you mentioned that you said like, at least at one point, uh, like contemporary music wasn't so big in Bulgaria. And it, it seems like so much of like especially percussion contemporary music is reliant on interesting meters like Vinyao, or even looking at something like Rite of Spring. Uh, And it seems so often that that, that students struggle to to understand how mixed meter functions. And so like oftentimes I find myself playing like Blue Rondo a la Turk or Overture to Candide just to show like, look, nine, seven, like they can feel totally normal. It's not, it doesn't have to feel like foreign or odd at all. So it's great to hear that. And I'm, yeah. I, I definitely want to check actually,
4: out the where you think, suggested. Yeah, actually, I think that uh, composers just try to make this uh, going back to primitive and going back to the traditions, to the regions. And it's at that time, for example, I'm thinking about Stravinsky, Sacre du Printemps. Uh He's always, always, everything is done on these irregular rhythms, but actually it's at that time that composers started to go back and to, to be related and to be inspired of exactly this kind of rhythms. But for a while, I think maybe it was not so, people were not so focused on that, I think. Yeah. Well, Along
3: these lines, we have a question from uh, one of our listeners, Christelle Najim, who is writing from Lebanon and she writes, please tell us about your approach to playing, arranging and improvising folk music on the marimba. What is the link between traditional folk music and improvisation on one side and learning in a classically trained context on the on another?
4: Hmm. Okay. Uh, so first about the improvisation and classical. Actually, it's something that I really love to do uh, in my I don't know, in my concerts, in my projects, I'm always trying to make connections between classical music. Casey is going in his uh, <laughs> in his course somewhere. Uh, <laughs> That's his son is gonna join us for a little bit. <laughs> so sweet. Hi, Robin. From the from the music. <laughs> Great. Um, okay. Um, so improvising on 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 classical music or on on written music, actually, I really believe that cl- origins of the music is in traditional music actually, because a lot of, uh, I'm thinking about Brahms, Liszt, uh, Bartok, uh, Schumann, Schubert, so many composers are really inspired from the traditional music. So actually we can hear the, the heart and the, the soul of the, of the traditional music of different uh, countries. And uh, if you can hear to that, you can just continue the idea somehow, of course not so greatly as, as them, but in your way, and just trying to put it uh, nowadays in 21st century and do something with this. And um, for example, tomorrow, the day after tomorrow, I start to rehearse again with uh, my duo partner who is playing clarinet, his name is Remi de de Longle. And uh, with him, we are doing really a lot of um, bridges between classical and traditional music. So for example, we are taking De Faya, uh, Manuel De Faya, so it's more spanish we just start from that we play the team and we just improvise it's actually like jazz music like just people just musicians are doing they take a standard and they just develop um, with the components that we have in the composition so i do the same way actually hmm.
3: It's so nice to hear. And I think um, one thing I find myself thinking and saying to students a lot is like, we get caught up sometimes thinking like, oh, I play this style of music or I play this style of music. And in the end, like, they're all related and there's no, yeah. you know, it's music, music is music and Yeah. And- I really
4: believe in that. Actually, really my experience showed me that because for example, with Rémy de Longle, we have this with the t- traditional music, but with Tomasenko, we play all this, he's really yeah. just musician player. So we are starting from Mozart, but we are just ending uh, with something completely different. Uh, I- I'm playing with electronic music as well, uh, electronic music producer, her name is Chloe. And uh, this was actually my latest collaboration Uh, We just start, I was thinking, actually, we were contacted for playing Steve Reich music, uh, Steve Reich, uh, Reich, how we say in English, Steve (laughs) Reich, Uh, and um, we were only two of us, and we had to make something like remix, so we were wondering what we can do, and we were like, okay, let's let's do something on music for 18 musicians. Um, So, of course, we are only two, so we cannot do it as it's written, so we just pre-record something and after we were like, okay, let's just improvise with the components. So with patterns, constructing patterns, uh, trying the phasing with uh, FX, the effects that she's putting on the time. And after just opening in the middle uh, and putting something from ourselves with experimentation of sounds, but with the same same idea of freedoms that are just uh, uh, superposing. And uh, yeah, so we just, and after we came back to, to write music, um and actually after we we liked so much this collaboration uh, and the things that it opens to us that we just we were just like okay now we experiment with this we try music but now we can do our our music and our things so we just started and we we base everything on improvisation actually so we just start something and after music is going and going and uh, leading us in the paths that we even don't know we are going there. You know, it's, it's something I really like actually, that we are putting a frame, but we never know which color we are going to put in this frame, what we are going to, to, to build on the concert. We know various, uh, very um, little things, and after we are just going, we, we are listening the sound, we listen to us, what we want to do now, what people want to hear now, and we just go and we we just improvise. But yeah, I definitely think that the 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 borders between styles are demodé already. I really think this. I this does not mean that we should not play classical music and we should not go to the really pure and very very classical or very traditional. I would love to go to this kind of concert as well. But for me, for what we are, what we have today in twenty first century, all this crazy life we have for for me now, everything is just going, and we cannot stop it, so why stop something that is natural yeah yeah, yeah that's that's well said that's yeah. awesome.
1: Um, you're such a versatile musician and you do so many things so well. Um, and I think it's very helpful for our young listeners, especially to know the the episode that you talked about, how you you know wanted to go somewhere and you auditioned and it didn't turn out how you wanted it to. So you moved to another country mm-hmm. and how you embraced an opportunity and how you played in the street to make money. But then, I mean, look at where you are now. It's It's absolutely incredible how how far you've gone. It's like you're a hundred years old, not like you're a young woman, you know, with such a fantastic career. And so one of our listeners, Ante Kolesik from Poland, uh, he asked, uh, do you have any advice for young folks on how to get their first paid gigs? So how do you not go and say, I'll play in your church for free? How do you, do you ask you? for money?
4: I had a student of mine, and he was like, "Oh, but you know, I'm not like like you. I really wanna earn money very fast. I wanna have a very nice car." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, fuck! I don't know how to, how to help you with this." Okay, actually, um, if I have recommendation for young folks, this is so for for young students, what I can recommend is just to have fun when you play. I, for me, it's what worked actually. If uh, That's why I really love my father because he never pushed me. He never said like, you should do like that. You should do like that. Of course he's saying recommendations and advices, but it's never in a rude way. So actually for me, it was very important to have the spontaneous uh, things to, to have it like a play and really to enjoy the thing. So I think for young guys, this is the most important. And after, of course, for me it came when I was 13, you need a moment in your life that you just decide this is gonna be my job or this is going to be my profession later for me it came from 13 i really felt at that time that it's really my passion that it's my life and i'm gonna do everything for continue doing music Uh, it's pretty early but so for somebody else it can be later but or, or earlier it's it it depends on on each person but what i always say to my students is you have to remember this first time that you felt the thing because after in your life you're going to have so many difficulties for sure and you're going to need this like a small treasure it's your treasure and you have to open it and take this the uh, passion from it—it's for me—it's very important, and I—I I really remember. It's two points in my life. I remember the hour. I remember the place that I really just decided this was going to be my life. And uh, to be paid—it's difficult to answer this because I actually I never thought like this, and um, maybe this is my romantic East European. Uh, nature i don't know but even when i was making my competitions i mean i always made a competition i always won a prize uh, if i made competition i never knew uh what is the price actually what is the money (laughs) price you know even and after i was like surprising second price, ah let's see ah it's seven five ah great i'm so happy or it's first price ah is that okay great so i can uh buy beers to my friends you know (laughs) Uh, actually i was really not preoccupied of this and it came later and for me it's most important the most important that you love what you do and you're really patient Things are going to come later, and really my, my life shows me this: If if you're, more, you're, if you're thinking more about the result before making the, the, the way to this result, maybe you can be disappointed. And if you're not thinking about this, you're only going to be very well surprised. <laughs> I just- <laughs> we've,
0: we've called that the value of play on the show. Yeah. Um, several times and several different variations but I think you just gave us another example of one like if you're just doing what you love and what you enjoy you you know there's this whole hidden benefit behind it you know Mm -hmm. so like like you said just like play what you love play what you want to do and um yeah then yeah all the all the (laughs) <laughs> the money and the gigs and the stuff like that should kind of naturally, naturally.
4: Follow. Yeah, they're not, they're coming naturally because you become better and better in what you're doing. So people just wanna hearing you more. They can, they wanna exchange with you. They want your advices for teaching and blah blah. But actually, I really think that we have a great chance as musicians because, for the most of the time, of course, we are really passionate what we are doing. And when we when we say I have to go and work i have to go and practice actually you're doing what you love to do and this is really very short percent a percentage of people like this i know so many people that are going to their jobs and they're really not so happy to go to their jobs and for us it's not really opposite way so actually we just have to be so happy for that and just just take this like a, like a power in our lives
3: You mentioned that at 13 you decided that you wanted to be a musician. This is what I'm going to do. I'm wondering, was there like a pivotal event or like certain circumstances that made you decide that or you just felt it at that time?
4: No, of course, there there are certain things. First is um, the teacher in Bulgaria who started, the professor who started all percussion school, Dobri Paliev is his Uh name. He's, he passed away uh, in 97, I think. Uh, he was really great, 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 great person because he, he formed, he, he, were, he, he was teaching uh, everybody. All, my father is one of his students and after he spread all his students in the country. So actually he really established the percussion school in the country. And uh, he was in the jury when I was 13 and I, it was a difficult period for my family. My, we didn't have a lot of money and my father has to go and doing something completely different, the teaching percussion for one year. And so we prepared all his students were a little bit like shocked because we were without him for a year. And one of his older students took the position and he was teaching us. So we prepare a competition and the competition was named Siegfried Fink, Dobri Palev" because it was a collaboration between both of them. Uh, it was in Sofia. And uh, I, of course, I was very perturbed. I don't know if you understand this word but because it's in French, I don't know if in English. It's, I was disturbed because of course, I was used to work with my father and he was not there. So I was practicing, but not really. So I practiced uh, my xylophone a lot and my snare drum was really like, Mm, not that much, so I went to the, to the competition and uh, I played so my xylophone, it was a secret fig piece and uh, my snare drum and after Dobri Paliev came, they gave me fourth prize, so I didn't have really a prize but I have mallets and after Dobri Paliev was like, you're going to play on the gala concert because your xylophone was really amazing and it was the best that we heard for the whole competition. But your snare drum you should you should never play again like that. You should really if you go for a competition you have to be really, really ready. So it was great for me because he really encouraged me in a way. And in the same time, he was just like, Chuck, (laughs) like, no, it's in the same time, it's not good. And I was like, okay, I really understood that if you want to be on the stage, if you want to go and be in a competition, you really have to be ready and really have to be there for saying something and saying in a right way. And the second thing I was, I fall in love with the piano player, really amazing piano player, in my eyes in that time it, I was 15 uh, so it was a little bit later and I really like I, I, re, I was really very impressed how he played Chopin music on piano and I was like oh, I really want to do this for my marimba and I really would love to perform one day also on marimba like a piano player and yeah it comes in this way
0: Hey, I was going to ask a little about repertoire because you have all these really cool videos up and you play all this really amazing, great rep. And I noticed that in the, the credits, when you cite some of the pieces you do in your little teaser, you play a piece of mine called Bad Touch. Yes. I, didn't know, I had no idea. That's awesome. Can you tell our audience and like the world really like why that piece is so ama- amazing?
4: Stop. In case you to be clear, Can we find this piece on, on uh, Scribid?
0: <laughs> yeah, this
4: <that> <laughs> Casey, and I yeah. called because I already tried to invite you for my Bulgarian festival, and you were just like, oh, I'm very uh, occupied. Oh, like, really? So now I'm inviting you live. Why is, Ksenia, why is Ksenia
0: celebrating? I don't get it. Like, Senia's like, oh, gotcha, Casey. <laughs> So that doesn't feel, just just so you know, Ksenia, that doesn't feel like a gotcha. It's like, <laughs> oh, I was invited and I I couldn't go or something. It's not like, a, oh, gotcha, you bitch. You're a bad Maybe person.
4: She about Pleven, but now you know about Pleven. It's a great place. It's a place to be.
0: I, I of I mean, course I would love I would love to go. Just sometimes I'm I'm you know doing something else, so I'm not busy. But Ksenia's got this, like, yeah, Casey, gotcha, bitch. Take that. I don't understand. <laughs> what did i what did i do (laughs) but i but my real question my real question was what uh how do do you pick rep and I, i think there's so many young composers out there that they look at someone like yourself and they think like wow she's so good and she plays at all the important places and makes all the wonderful recordings and i would love to have my music you know in the hands of someone like that so, so what is it that you find attractive about certain pieces of music or are there other pieces of music that maybe you think oh, i don't want to play
4: that okay so actually uh, i i had different periods in my life for example when i was in bulgaria i played more arrangements and transcriptions. when i came to france i started to play a lot of contemporary music because here they're crazy about that so, and actually it was it was a great time for me because I discovered so many repertoire um, and after I go to US to see what people they are playing and yeah, and now actually I almost do not play rap uh, pieces for percussion because uh, all my projects with Chloe, with Thomas or uh, with uh, Remy, we are just doing our thing and it's very difficult for me to pick again something but when i do my solo concerts i am thinking about repertoire and actually how i pick things it's more about the conception of the line of the whole spectacle of the whole concerts that i would like to do Uh, so i'm trying now i'm like this i don't know maybe tomorrow i'm not like this but it's for for a while i'm trying to do um a concert almost without a break so I'm thinking how pieces can relate one to other and how I can connect them. So I'm trying something classical. If there is in in a, a, a in certain tonality, I'm trying to continue with uh, the same tonality. For example, after I would like to contrast with something, so I'm going to take something with musical theater or like piece of yours, like for example for Bad Touch. Bad Touch actually I love because it's a, I, I, uh, I do it you have these two minutes in the beginning so it's uh, enough that I I just finish a piece just start I change I go and I perform it so it's perfect (laughs) for for in the middle of the concert you know and yeah I'm just trying to 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 think about the story I wanna the the whole story of the concert I wanna I wanna give so yeah after I want something more groovy so I'm thinking about multi-percussion piece but yeah this is how I'm during my conservatory i was thinking more about the challenge of the pieces now i'm more thinking more about the story of the concert
0: right the complete the complete program
4: Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and actually it's very difficult for me now to start playing repertoire pieces again really actually it was crazy because when i made stuttgart competition i i had a small Uh, questions in my head just before the competition I felt really I don't like at all the Marimba repertoire I really felt this two weeks before the competition so I was in panic because I was like okay I'll go to this competition that I was dreaming about I knew since I'm a kid and I was now I'm almost two weeks to go and to play there and I just realized I don't like this repertoire at all actually. So I called my, I was already in the Paris Conservatory. I think that's why I didn't like because in Paris Conservatory, the aesthetic of teaching, um, my teacher there was Michel Cerruti was completely different. It was uh, more Pierre Boulez style. So we were concentrating only on this and Marimba repertoire is not at all like that. So I was like, "Mm, maybe it's not the right thing, why I'm doing that, blah, blah. And I was really confusing. So I called back Silvio and uh, he was like come and we're going to speak about I'm going to give you a lesson we see and he was so great because actually he found he found out in each of my pieces for marimba uh, A connection with a great composer. He was like, hey, this is like Messiaen. Hey, this is like Boulez. Hey, this is like real Mozart. Thing. You can do it like that or like that. And uh, he gave me so many refer- uh, references that it's really enriched my imagination, my musical imagination. So I found again the passion to play this repertoire. So when I went to, to Stuttgart competition, I really didn't care about how it's going to be, if I'm going to to win or not to win. I was just really thinking about all my great composers' references, about the story I want to give to the people. I really felt like I'm playing a concert and after it just worked out like that. And, uh, and yeah, now, after stuttgart i won this first prize i just stopped playing marimba for year year and a half it was i was just like over with marimba and now i'm back i'm playing almost all the time only marimba but i don't feel like i'm playing marimba i just feel like i use this instrument to express myself but that's all i really don't think about uh, should I do with this mallets or that mallet or blah, blah. Before I was crazy about it. Now I'm like a jazz player. I just take two, two, three pairs of mallets, that's all, and I just do my thing. And I I, I don't know. I really think much more about the message that I give to the people listening to me at that time. Yeah. Maybe it will change again. I don't know. <laughs> now it's
0: well, like that. Well, I love your answer because it it fits very much with, how you said you like to play too, like you should just play for fun and like the, the important stuff follows the the path of, you know, the joy you're pursuing. And it's like the same answer to composers like, hey, don't try to target someone playing a specific piece, just like write what you genuinely yeah, want to write. And then someone like Veselina might fit it into a complete program and find a, a good, a good spot for exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. See, K- Ksenia, why are you yet? Yeah, why are you, why are you always throwing starting fights? See, we, we get along fine. We
1: we we said that we need more drama on the podcast. It gets our ratings oh, up. Yeah. So we gotta we gotta fight. It's just oh, good point. Good show. point. So, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Good point. Screw you.
1: <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> Uh, I think I think that's beautiful what you said, Vasilena, That you you essentially you play music. You don't play the instrument. You play music, which which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but since you've mentioned music that you dislike, Ben now has a fantastic topic on music that we all dislike. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Ahead, I, yeah. yeah, I don't know why. I, well, I know why because Casey, Casey and I had some exchange a few weeks ago on Facebook and the comments somewhere, and like the topic of hold music came up. Uh, and I don't know why. I just wanted to, to go down this rabbit hole on telephone hold music. Uh, and one of my favorite websites is called Tedium, the address is tedium.co, not com, like we would normally have. Uh, and they have an article called Holding Patterns. TDM writes what I would describe as really interesting articles on really boring topics. And then there's also an NPR article called The Many Requirements of Hold Music, a Genre for No One um, that I I used to do some research on this as well. Uh, And hold music is actually, I found so established now that it has its own trade group called the On Hold Message Association, and they even have their own award show. And uh, in uh, last year, I think it was, there was a, a Canadian business that, that won their awards. So there you go. But uh, so basically we're talking about telephone hold music and the frustration of getting a human on the phone is Americans second greatest annoyance after hidden fees. But this frustration of waiting for a human to answer the phone beats out for Americans uh, inaccurate weather reports and dog poop, according to consumer reports. Uh, and so, In the 1960s, after the first transatlantic phone cable was laid between Newfoundland and Scotland, there was a greater volume of calls being placed. And so this led to switchboard operators having to ask more people to hold. And so when you're sitting there waiting for someone to pick up the phone on the other side, there's a silence. And silence can make people think that a line is dead and they will then hang up. So today, actually, some companies even transmit what they call a comfort tone over phone lines. It's a barely audible synthetic noise that signals that a connection is still active when talking. Uh, So in the 1960s, there was a guy named Alfred Levi, and he accidentally touched a loose wire to a steel girder, which is a support structure in his building, and it made his company's telephone system pick up broadcasts from a neighboring radio station. And so instead of being annoyed by this, he saw an opportunity. And in spring of 1962, he filed an application with the US Patent Office for a telephone hold program system. This patent was granted in 1966. So around this time, also, businesses began using call centers to take calls. So it was a great way for people that called into a call center. They could have some sort of music playing while they waited. And around two decades later in 1983, uh, Levi and another guy by the name of John D. Paul filed for another patent that made a remote control, excuse me, a remote program selection where you could actually choose your hold music between different options. Uh, By around 1987, 92% of hold music was sourced from the radio. This was actually problematic for several reasons, including the fact that ASCAP designates hold music as public performance. So if you use it in this context without a license, it is actually illegal. And also, uh, if you were on hold, say, with your bank, you might, while you're waiting on hold with your bank, hear a radio advertisement for another bank. And there was a guy by the name of J.B. Seligman that realized this. He actually had that exact scenario happen. He heard an ad for a competing bank while he was on the phone. And so he decided to start a company called Digital Message Systems with his business partner, Byron Lancaster. Uh, and they, he said he realized that they were... Uh, 10 million business telephone systems in the U.S., but only about 100,000 accounts for message on hold companies, which left 99% of the market untapped. So there's a huge business opportunity to sell actual, like we'll call it custom fitted hold music to different companies. As a side note, this Seligman character sounds like a very interesting guy. He has a history with... uh, patent infringement, tax fraud, bankruptcies, and other lawsuits and he now lives the high life in Bocas del Toro, Panama. Uh, So this this music on hold phenomenon would lead to what we call messaging on hold, which was instead of playing just music while customers wait, you could actually help promote your business. So by the mid-1980s there were companies like American Telephone Tapes that uh, in this company they would have music playing but every 40 seconds or so there would be an announcer with a quote unquote sultry voice that would break in to uh, break up the music. Uh, In 1991, there's a company called Bogan Communications International and they released a messages on hold system uh, that allowed small businesses to be able to make use of hold music. The Smithsonian now has actually one of these machines in their collection and this is what it looks like. Hopefully you can all see that. Um, And so it's basically a tape recorder that if someone calls in, it it will play the the tape of the music. Uh, Just a few stats, there is a 1997 study from the Journal of Direct Marketing and a 2009 study from the Journal of Services Marketing that found that callers were reported, excuse me, callers reported that they had shorter wait times and higher customer satisfaction when they had uh, hold music during calls, even though the wait time wasn't necessarily, it was just their perception of the wait time. There was a uh, 1993 study in the Journal of Music Therapy that found fewer callers to a Protective Services Abuse Hotline hung up when jazz music was a play- was played as opposed to relaxation music. In 1999, there was a study by a team of music psychologists, and they put out a newspaper advertisement soliciting callers. Callers were simply placed on hold to see how long they would wait before they hung up, and there were three things that were played. One was a repeating message. Two was Beatles tunes, and three was panpipe covers of Beatles tunes. And curiously, the thing that got people to stay on the line the longest was the panpipe covers of Beatles tunes. (laughs) They speculated that the familiar Beatles tunes might actually have made people sort of count how many songs they have heard, and it felt like wait times were even longer. There's now even a company called Beat Suite that specifically sells songs for hold music systems. And they said that they found some problematic selections that people were were making. For example, uh, Funeral Homes would want some really upbeat song like Walking on Sunshine, which was obviously not an appropriate SELECTION IF YOU WERE CALLING INTO A FUNERAL HOME, Uh, AND ALSO A LOT OF COMPANIES WANTED CLASSICAL MUSIC, BUT THEY SAID CLASSICAL MUSIC IS PROBLEMATIC BECAUSE THE TECHNICAL LIMITATIONS OF PHONE LINES LEAD TO HEAVY COMPRESSION, AND SOFT PARTS SOUND REALLY FUZZY, LOUD PARTS SOUND REALLY DISTORTED, SO THIS COMPANY HAS TRIED TO COMPOSE, I GUESS, UNIQUE MUSIC FOR uh, HOLD MUSIC CALLS. Hold music is now actually losing some traction. For one thing, we always expect to be given an estimated wait time when we call and you know, hear where you are in the queue. Interactive voice response systems uh, now take some time to route calls to the correct person. So this is talking about like press three if you're having a problem with your such and such. And some co- companies will now even allow you to hang up and receive a call back. Uh, and then the last little thing I wanted to report on, there's a conference call service called Uber Conference, unrelated to Uber, the the car company, or the the taxi service, so to speak. Uh, And this company allows users to select hold music while you're waiting for a concert call to start. And actually nine out of 10 calls use this comedic song called I'm On Hold by Alex Cornell. Uh, And the song was basically recorded as a joke, but it's actually now become so popular that some people are downloading it to listen to on their own time. And Cornell was actually recruited to do a live performance for a company whose sales staff heard that song all day long. So that is uh, everything I had to report about hold music. Call hold music.
0: (laughs) Would have never thought. So, So if you call the registrar's office at JMU, the hold music is a live recording of a piece of mine called white knuckle stroll, which if you know that piece, you would think, and like, yeah, Ben's laughing like, dude, that's not good hold music. (laughs) It's like, it's in D minor. It's fast. It's intense. It's not relaxing at all. I mean, it's like a totally agitated piece, interjecting augmented chord interjected fully diminished chord back to D minor. Like it's not a relaxing piece at all. And I actually tried to, (laughs) I couldn't find who to talk to, to get it, like taken off, like I just don't think this is a good choice. But obviously, someone listened to it. And was like, oh yeah, that's that's a good choice <laughs> for I, the whole music. It's been that <laughs> way for years here. I would
2: I would hope it was at, at least someone that knew you were a professor at the university, not just some like Casey Cangelosi fan. Well, I I think it's
0: neither. I think it's just someone who, I don't know, they had access to recordings made at our Performing Arts Center and was like, oh yeah, that's like kind of like sparkly sounding or something. But I'm always amazed how awful Hold Music sounds. Like, why does it just sound like it's been recorded by this like super, super lo-fi awful tape recorder? And Ben, you touched on it a little bit. So like classical music's really pro- uh, problematic because of like the compression and there's so little you hear, you'll you hear. So there's a problem with getting quality music just into the system at all, like into the call hold system. But also I read something saying that our, uh, our phone speakers, you know, what we're listening to, they're only designed to output the frequencies that the human voice is at. So the range of music that we typically listen to, there's far lower frequencies and also frequencies well above it. So it's just not conducive to music like anywhere, you know, in the system or in the place you're listening to it at.
2: Yeah, I mean, we have, you know, we're talking about analog phone lines for one. It's it's, it's just a bad signal. It's not Mm -hmm. an appropriate speaker for that. It might be playing literally from a tape player. It's funny you mentioned that. I actually found there was an anecdotal thing that it was like a business insider article from 2014 or 15. Uh, and basically, someone said that uh, they they were on hold with Apple, and Apple's you know such a company that prides itself on its music and uh, apparently, the quality was just terrible, and they emailed Tim Cook, the CEO, and they said the next day someone from California called them, uh, and supposedly after this the the quality of apple's whole music has has gone up exponentially. Um, it's you know it's one of those things is like, did it really happen? I don't know, but there's there's a story there. But you mentioned uh, at JMU the Hold Music is is White Uncle Stroll. I don't know if this is still the case. I actually tried to call today just to check, but Steve Weiss music, their Hold Music, they used to have uh, Stubernik as their Hold Music. I remember calling in high school and I heard this piece and I had no idea of what it was, uh, but I was like, oh, that's a cool sounding marimba piece. And then years later I heard it, I was like, oh, that's the Steve Weiss Hold Music.
3: Fun. Somebody is thinking that when they find a recording of White Knuckle Stroll, too, like some JMU student is like, oh, that's the registrar right. hold music. Yeah, and then right. they
2: hear it on the radio. They're like, oh, that's what that was.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, I see why this person decided to play this as an encore. It's because it's the registrar's hold music. Awesome. Everyone knows that.
1: Very. Good
2: point. If you put that on your website, I bet you'll sell more copies.
0: I bet so. <laughs> Chosen by the registrar. Yeah, the hold music.
4: Next time you can make also the history of the Elevators music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. Exactly. That, Well, that was, It's funny you mentioned that because like they, they said that like uh, that part of this emerged, there was this phase of Muzak, which is like, you know, Elevator music, Department Store music and it, it kind of emerged alongside that as, a, yeah, calming. Yeah, kind
4: of there is a story for Eric Satie apparently he he was working about uh, making this kind of cold music but like the music uh for the contract um, between the like the the break be- in the concerts and he was really mad because people just stopped to listen to him and he was like go away go away this is just <laughs> a contract music <laughs> yeah <It doesn't laughs>
2: that, like eric sati or like brian eno is another one like I, I i'm sure someone else has come up with this term too but like i call it like music to not listen to it's it's not supposed to demand your attention it, it's supposed to be yeah. unobstructive background music and right yeah, it's so funny like we work so hard to play you know white Uncle stroll and have people look at us and clap for us and it, there is a market for music that no one should actually be listening
0: <laughs> right like a genre. i love the title was a genre for no one you know of the article it's like yeah wow that's that's such a correct description it's like yeah it has to kind of be there and let you know hey we're still You know the line is still connected, and it's supposed to keep your attention a little bit, not frustrate you, but also not appeal to any
2: particular taste.
1: Can't be too good. Can't be too good.
2: Mm -hmm. Casey, I'll I'll be sure after I've now completed my research, I'll be sure to nominate you for that uh, that award from there. Yeah, is
0: there an award for that? Oh, best elevator, best hold music. Yeah,
2: no, yeah. Like I said, they have actually. There's actually a professional association about this. I,
0: I found the worst hold music. Ever are you guys ready? Already. Okay. I don't know if it's like the worst ever. It's being used for copyright. But it's supposedly. Well, maybe it's Easy Pass. Hey, hey Robin. Listen to this. Listen to this nonsense. So I I mean, can you all hear that?
2: Yeah, that sounds terrible. <laughs>
0: like what is that? Like that's just like weird noise. Hey. Hey. Well, we're doing a podcast now we can't do trucks right now look it's robin oh yeah go play with trucks hi oh here you go but yeah the worst hold music ever it sounds just...
1: pretty much like something some people might program on their percussion ensemble concert but not for oh, no <laughs> it's
2: music, yeah. i had a i had a question actually if i can if i can break in moving off of hold music I. Uh, Vaselana, you, you mentioned uh, Silvio Gualda, who we've mentioned a few times on the pod- podcast before, and I think most American audiences aren't so familiar with this name, uh, but he's very significant uh, with especially the works of Zanakis. Could you tell us, because I, all I know is he, he was really instrumental in premiering a lot of Zanakis. could you tell us about him?
4: Yes. I actually I really love him and uh, it's crazy because today he wrote me he's 81 now and he's still in great shape so yeah it's some, he's somebody very important actually um, he was a timpanist of um, Paris opera but he was really passionate about um, contemporary music and uh, percussion contemporary and I think he of course we know him for Xenakis music because they were actually really pretty good friends, they, he, some, he told me the story how they choose some metal pieces from Pompidou Museum uh, in, in 80s when the museum was built. They were together with Xenakis and uh, looking and trying to trying the different pipes of the museum. I don't know if you know how it looks, but it's only huge pipes and there was everywhere. So they were trying and he was like, oh, maybe I take this, maybe I take that. Same for the stones when they were on the seashore, he, he, could stay for hours just choosing the, the sound of stones for Pesce Fasa for example and um, Gualda was uh, somebody very uh, he's very energetic so he I think that's why with Xenakis it works so well actually because he really defend his um, music on stage like nobody else at that time I think he was just really Completely crazy because in the time that he premiered uh, rebounds and psaffa, uh, nobody played uh, things like this. And he he received, for example, psaffa, and it was only this all these points. And he was like, "What should I do with that?" You know, <laughs> and uh, and actually he had to play. I think the premiere is in London, if I remember well, and he had to play it in three weeks. I mean, even <laughs> nowadays, no percussionist can play it in three weeks. So he played what he could he made something but uh, he, he. I think the audience was like, like crazy about this and um, actually there was not only Xenakis there's also Witch Stockhausen he was making uh, a lot of uh, Asia premieres actually uh, also I don't know if you know Phoenix the piece for vibraphone and uh, it's also Silvio so It's, it's vibraphone and right? uh it's vibe and nine nine skins yeah uh yeah and uh, for example wilder loves that it if it's play if it's played with congas because we can tune them and it can be model like uh the the, vibra- the vibraphon thing because very often we play it with tom-toms and it's something specific he really likes if it's like that like with tune instruments yeah so he's really very energetic very full of ideas of how he can interpret it. I think he's really a live music uh, interpret more than recordings because uh, on his recording, uh, he always says he's not so happy with his recordings. But when I saw, actually I had the chance to see him only once playing because uh, when I started to study with him, he was already after 70 and he didn't play that much. So he played Carter pieces, um, improvisation and Canary. And I remember really like uh, something very, very, very special, like the energy he put in and the, um, the story he stay, he said to people. It was really like uh, very, very impressive. So, yeah, I just,
2: I just wanted to add like uh, Safa in particular. It, it blows my mind because we think about trailblazers in music history, like you know, Beethoven in his day. But if you played Beethoven Symphony 4, when you get the score to Symphony 5, you probably think that, okay, I can do this. But I mean Safa, there is no reference to what that is before it exists. It's, yeah. even the notation alone is so unique. And I, I think a, a lot of people, if they were handed that score, especially in, God, three weeks or whatever, you, I mean, they would say, this is this is not playable. You know, like, go it back to revise this.
4: <laughs> But I think their, their relationship was so, like friendship was so, 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 so great that actually Gwauda really believed very hard in the music of Tsenakis. I think actually, if it will not be Gualda, maybe we don't know Xenaki's music, you know, because he really defend a lot of this music. And he was really, he really believed that much. And actually he, he was touring all over the world, playing these pieces that way. And now it's our classics, right? So I, I really think it's really very special person for us, for all percussionists all over the world. Absolutely, yeah.
3: I, was gonna, I was gonna say something similar. When I was learning Safa, I, it definitely took me longer than three weeks. I think it was more like, four or five months and the only <laughs> thing that got me through bad. it was knowing <laughs> what then
2: I thought you going to say? it's more like four or five weeks <laughs> oh gosh
3: no no and even then you feel like you don't have enough time but the, the only thing that got me through it and kept me thinking like okay this is doable was knowing plenty of other people have done this piece and i i can't imagine i thought like if somebody handed me a piece uh, you know a young composer somebody not established handed me this piece to perform i would have said this is impossible like, do you realize what you're asking me to do? Like that notation, it just, it's, it's mm-hmm. insane. So I'm grateful for, for Gualdo as well.
4: Yeah. And actually I, I was student of him for two weeks, two weeks, uh, two weeks, of <laughs> two years, two years and a half. Okay. <laughs> Starting with these weeks. Uh, and in the beginning, we didn't have that many lessons. He was making like master class, actually, he was listening um, the people who are preparing competitions for orchestra most, most of the time, but and also solo piece. But I don't know. That time it was more orchestra. And uh, his classes were like uh, master classes. It was open the whole day. He was coming Wednesday, Tuesday, and we were listening from uh, m- from the morning until the evening. And it was a big event actually, when he was coming, everybody was there already at 7.30, practicing snare drum, just warming up, and we were just waiting for maitre is coming, you know. And uh, the whole, my first year, I was just listening and I was just taking notes actually. I almost didn't have lessons. All my first competitions, for example, I prepared uh, almost alone and I was just uh, playing something to him in, in the last moment. But um, what I wanted to say, just listening to him um, le- uh, teaching music to everybody. It's so impressive. And so you, you, you can feel so many things that actually you don't really need to practice and to work exactly your piece with him you can learn just listening him teaching other people for the main ideas and after before my ird competitions i had uh, two or three lessons just before the competition and i really remember how in one in one lesson everything changed for me for my perception of how should i play the music um, he was immediately giving me the colors I need and he was speaking about dynamics. Uh, basically, he's, he really told me uh, the relief of the music, your panorama is dynamic, this is the structure. If you, if you don't have your dynamic scales like at least 12 dynamic from uh, piano until fortissimo, with all piano, piano plus, uh, mezzo piano, mezzo piano plus, mezzo forte minus, mezzo forte, mezzo, mezzo forte plus, he was thinking about this, all these micro changes, if you don't have your, um, if you're not sure that everywhere in the piece you have the same color for this and this dynamic, People cannot understand, people cannot understand the architecture of your your piece. So we were working on that and I remember only for one lesson, everything, the picture of my whole um, piece completely changed actually. And uh, this is one of the most important um, lessons I learned actually that that now I'm giving to my students and I'm doing when I play a contemporary piece for example. I always think about this uh, architecture, the picture, the relief that you are giving. So yeah, he was, he was pretty, pretty, pretty impressive as a teacher. Yeah,
3: <laughs> that's wonderful. Um, we have yeah. we have another question from our listener Antek Oleks o- Olesek. I'm not quite as um, good with, with the names as is from Poland and he asks um what do you think is essential to being a successful concert artist besides being a tremendous musician?
4: I think just being yourself and trying to make original things maybe maybe this is the most difficult for me at least because for example now I'm I'm actually doing my life by solo concerts like you or my projects I started to teach actually last year in Lausanne, in uh, Switzerland, and I'm teaching in Paris, but just a little bit. So the essential of my job is actually performing. And what I find is the most difficult is always to renew yourself and to find new ideas. Um, My agency, for example, are always asking me, uh, what is your new project for this year? What we are going to defend this year? and of course for example very often i tell them yeah it's again for example with thomas Enko, but we are doing another project now we are working on a new cd which is coming uh, soon with sony Music so on 20 uh, in march 21 uh and it's on Bach music so we start from Bach, but we are like preparing and making a completely different way that we just start from there and we just go again somewhere else but for example, now I just started a new project with a singer uh, during the um, during the lockdown. Uh, I was in Bulgaria and uh, she was in Bulgaria as well. She's Bulgarian, but living in Berlin. And we were like becoming crazy with being in Bulgaria without doing concerts and doing nothing. And we just met for the first time and we just exchanged ideas. And we were like, hey, why we don't do something about women actually? Uh, we're thinking about the mystical women beginning or something like that with the um, legends and myths. So it's like our idea. And we started to construct our rep around this idea. And actually we really started to love each other. We didn't know before, but we, it was just like like that. And I'm so happy because it's a new, it's original. It will be a, a voice with percussion and uh, and marimba. But the idea of the mystical women beginning it's also something uh, new and original for me. And so I think it's a good point for me this year because uh, each year, the most difficult each year, each season, you have to come out with something new, actually. People, want, it, it works, so it's the most difficult for me is that actually to, to find ideas. So to be successful, maybe that's one of the key, try to always reinvent yourself. And what helps me a lot actually is being inspired by different arts, different artists. Um, I'm going to exhibitions all the time. I'm reading a lot, I'm uh, speaking with people, watching movies and blah, blah, blah. So I think it's more, yeah. One of the most important things is that to be inspired all the time, trying to, and also I never make, actually, this is the first time I'm thinking about this, the this women thing it's first time in my life i try also to reflect the actuality normally i do not do that i don't think i really want to do something like that but um i read one book which impressed me a lot um i can show you actually wait a minute
1: oh my god we're talking about books now we're finally the podcast that i've always wanted us to be (laughs)
0: Why are you doing a book club?
1: <laughs> I have a book club. It only has one member. Only one friend of mine will handle me in my uh-huh. book. you're going to say one member you? and it's you. Right. <laughs> well, but I'm the president. Excuse me.
0: Are the are the debates heated?
4: Very,
1: very. Let's uh-huh. see what the
4: book is. Nice. <laughs> like. This one, uh, Clarissa Pincula uh, Estes. Uh, after it's in French, but uh, the the name is women that are uh, running with uh, wolves. wolves. yeah. And uh, actually, it's about uh, the tales uh, all over the world. She's a tale speaker, yeah. She's saying tales, and uh, she said that um, she's taking tales and uh, she's analyzing the archetypes of uh, people and uh, the way of thinking uh via the tales and she says uh it's uh, it's specific on the women things uh the women way of thinking the women beginning of feature was actually men or women and um it's very interesting for me because she she said it changed so much we changed we, we 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 took only the tales which uh go goes okay with the society and the country we are living and we are just erasing tales because it's not uh, okay for for the society that way so for example just thinking about communism they cannot say something things, so they just put out the tales so she st- she tried to um, just to put to, to like a small treasure actually and we were speaking about this and actually it really impressed me a lot and i'm really happy because i'm gonna do something about this book yeah that's all uh yeah is it okay well. <laughs> no, that's amazing, that's amazing. i am always just divine
1: somewhere else, but yeah. That's, that's incredible. Sorry. Um, we have uh, a few more questions from our social media. We want to make sure we answer them all. And so okay. we're going to try to do these very quickly because uh, Casey's got to yeah. go. Um, so he, we have a question from uh, Niels underscore Vom, for example, I think from France. Uh, who asks, what type of mallet do you use to play Mozart?
4: Uh, I play now my mallets because uh, vibrowell uh, it's a Vibrowell French mallet company. Uh, they made uh, my series of uh, mallets. And since I made this, actually I'm playing uh, almost all the time only with this. So it's my name, Vasilena Serafimova, Vibrowell. Before I play a lot with Keiko and uh, Kohlberg. So all my competitions I made with Keiko's mallets and Kohlberg, Yasmin uh, Kohlberg. But now I still keep them because I'm uh, attached to them, but I play my mallets now.
0: Don't you think you should use timpani mallets because those are the only mallets around during Mozart's time? Wouldn't that be more accurate?
4: <laughs> if I play <laughs> timpani mallets what? When I play Mozart or marimba, you think?
0: Marimba, Listen? whatever. Yeah. <laughs>
4: No. bad joke <laughs> bad joke really bad joke
0: i'm going to write a new piece bad i don't called
4: play symphony anymore so no <laughs>
1: <laughs> the next question is from uh our friend Jade Hales from Oregon uh who asked what do you find to be the most challenging and rewarding aspect of playing in a piano duo uh
4: wrong notes <laughs> 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 yeah because uh, yeah um It's not fair, but um, he's just putting his fingers and he's touching the things and we have all these like mallets (laughs) and we cannot touch our instruments. So yeah. Uh, So this in the tuning also, it's a big deal with piano. Yeah, but if not, both instruments are percussion, so it works well. You should be completely in time. This is something that we can hear immediately if you're not playing together because it's the attack, the, the attack is, should be together. But also thinking about registers. If we play on the same time, on the same register, uh, we are eating uh, the sound of the other one. So when we are arranging, we are thinking a lot about that, how to dispatch. Uh, the music so we have uh, the whole range like an orchestra and not being in the same in the same place only if we want to be like one in that time we can do this kind of things but if not yeah. so yeah time tuning and uh, thinking about uh, the range of the instruments
1: yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Thanks. Um, another question from, uh, gogo underscore piano again from France, we think. Um, and we had to interpret this one a little bit. Um, Gogo piano said, you play like you have three arms. How is this possible?
4: Like three arms. Mm, I don't know how to answer, but thank, thank you. <laughs> I'm an octopus. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, Another question from Elsa uh, on Instagram. Uh, And this is again a question that I'll let you interpret. Uh, How is it to be a female percussionist? And then, too bad there is so much more men,
4: dot, dot, dot.
0: Yeah, too bad, Ksenia.
4: (laughs) Yeah, no, I just think that I I don't think really like that. I think it depends on the moment, on the country. For example, recently there was somebody making a research in France about uh, uh, the women in orchestras. So apparently here in France, there are not many of them. And so we don't know if it's like a privilege or it's just like it happened like that. Uh, But for example, I was uh, searching in Bulgaria and I found out that there are more women than men. So actually it depends on country maybe communism was the communism was good in debt uh, <laughs> with with these things so yeah it depends so but to being women as a is being women in the life so yeah it's just a woman in a life is just like being what you are and you're playing with what, with what you are <laughs> yeah that's all sometimes actually to be honest uh sometimes we can we can notice that there in the festivals for example for electronic music because i really have this um, appreciation because we are playing with Chloe. Sometimes you have posters with uh, only us, so women and only men DJs, also. But it's tr- we are trying to change little by little. I think everybody is now alert about that, and people try to do more equal. And I think little by little, it will it will come. Yeah. Another one and
1: we think this might be an inside joke. It came from a who said crack."
4: <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's it. That was that was it and the question mark. It's just a joke between us. Um never mind. It's in Bulgarian actually that means uh I'm hitting with my foot on the, on the ground. That's all. <laughs> 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 Good.
1: Good. Hi, Thomas not here.
4: To say we, we to say, crack, and he knows to say, you're a very beautiful, uh, mademoiselle, you're a very beautiful, uh, uh, girl. So that, that's all he knows in Bulgaria and we are playing together for 11 years. So that's, that's all <laughs> That's know. all you
0: need to know in Bulgaria though, right?
4: It's what he says. It's it's all, <laughs>
0: Oh, my okay. God.
2: Well, speaking of Bulgarians, we have to ask one other question. Oh. <laughs> How shall I phrase this delicately? Can you give us some dirt on Svet?
1: <laughs> so we are all Svet students besides Casey.
4: For, so was, I'm
2: just going to leave. For, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it. <laughs> anyway. What was Svet like growing up?
4: Svet was crazy about practicing. Okay, so that maybe this, this didn't change a lot so actually he just so he was just coming in the school and he just uh, opened it and he just closed it almost every day and actually he came when he was maybe 16 he he was not from the beginning in the class of my father so only two or three years and he was pretty cool he tried he he loved to to party but not that much actually he was more concentrate on practicing and i don't know because i was younger i, I think i'm four, five or six years younger than him so we were not in the same how generation it? friend group maybe yeah so i was just looking at him like a hero because uh he was like the older guy and he was playing so good but he was practicing really like crazy already that at that uh, moment yeah but I don't remember like like funny things, I have to think about can I if, I, if I remember something I'll write it down guys and we will just join, we will just uh, put it in a plus. But I'm going to think about.
2: Yes
1: please, Ben is trying to put a collection together of all the bad stories about
3: Svet that he can. Long-term research project. Yeah, it's going to
2: be my second dissertation. <laughs> Thank you, We love you. <laughs> no, of
1: course, of course. This is all coming out of deep respect and love, and admiration. Um, I think uh, I think uh, we've gone through our questions, and obviously we've we've done actually a quite a longer episode than we planned. Thank you so much, uh, Ben. Carly, did you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, we're good. Okay, so in that case. Vasilena, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, it was you a both true pleasure.
4: Charlene, Ben, Exenia, and Casey who left us, but uh, he's going to, to to listen later. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> it was really great to meet you. I hope we can meet somewhere. Come to Europe one day and uh, we meet all here, or maybe i come to US and yeah. Well,
1: let's, let's let's hang see. out on both continents. Let's let's do hey, both.
4: We hey. <laughs> can go easily again, we'll be great. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, uh, Vasi. And we look forward to seeing uh, everything that you're gonna be doing in the next year and especially that new album. I'm really excited. I love
4: yeah, actually, uh, your too, new album. there are two albums, the one with Chloe <laughs> and with Thomas. Because with Chloe, we just record on the airport in Orly, three videos during the night. We had the whole airport only for us. We just installed Marimba and machines and just played during the night, you know, it was crazy. It was in November and uh, just two months later we we had all this Corona thing. So the the airports was again the same. So we saw it before, you know, it was crazy. But uh, yeah, our album is coming also next year with Chloe. So there are two albums, I'm super excited. I can't wait that people can hear and we can share this music. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners. We'll catch you on our next episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Bye. Ciao. Bye.